Blood Brothers Podcast, a Five Pillars Production. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, my dear brothers, sisters, friends, and yes, the foes out there, welcome to a very, very special episode of the Blood Brothers Podcast with your host, Dili Hussein. Before I introduce today's esteemed guest, I want to remind all the avid podcast listeners to subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're watching it uh, from the video form, and of course, if you're tuning in on the audio platform, you can find us on all the major platforms. It's a bit of a fanboy moment for me today. Uh, not many episodes are introduced as such. Today's guest is someone whose MMA career I have been following for many years. His accolades are many, but just to highlight some of them, he is an ADCC World Champion bronze medalist. He is a Pan-American Jiu-Jitsu champion. He is regarded as one of the greatest American wrestlers to ever bless the mats on the octagon. The UFC fans will remember him for UFC 129 for his welterweight uh, championship fight against GSP. And as I already mentioned, there's so much more I can say about him. But it is none other than Jake Shields of American Jiu-Jitsu. Jake, greetings, bro. Hey, such an honor honor to be here. You know, it's a weird world. We connected on Twitter uh, last week and here we are doing an interview. Yes, man. But truly, I am honored because I watched you as a young man. Right, and we used to, we we saw you in UFC because that's my first clock to you because we weren't really into wrestling in Jiu-Jitsu. It was Jake Shields in UFC. I'm honoured to have you on. Thank you so much. Hey man, thanks so much. Like you said, it's uh it's great to be here. I love um I do lots of podcasts for MMA and political stuff, but it's nice when uh as some people reach out to me to the Muslim world and like or Islamic Islamic world. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Something uh something speaking uh totally different. I think uh it's how we connected. I sent a couple of tweets out um last week not even that complimentary but just semi-complimentary of islam and well one was actually me sarcastically you know mocking islam but really it was yeah. like complimentary compared to the west another one was you know some good things about it and uh it was didn't get the reaction i expected it seemed to have gone completely viral in the in the muslim or islamic world you know got thousands of followers and uh everyone was extremely respectful my dms were just so filled with people um tell me about your religion no one being pushy everyone be like oh you know here's some reading if you ever want anything it was really um Interesting to see how people reached out, but in such a such a nice nice manner, and it showed uh, you know why I respect your uh, religion so much. Wicked. Um, there's loads of uh, jujitsu and MMA enthusiasts who tune into this podcast, and they would have my guts for garters if I didn't ask you at least a few questions. So I'm going to ask you a few questions, only three questions. I kindly yep. request that you can make them as brief as possible because, I, and I've kept the sim- uh, questions quite simple. So um, I've got a competition coming up in February, my first competition ever. And as a white belt, I want to ask you, how much focus should we give to cardio and doing weights? Or is it a case of just increasing mat time? Uh, I would focus more on increasing mat time because that's going to give you cardio. Especially as a white belt, I would just focus as much mat time as possible. Wicked. That'll build cardio. If you have extra time, it's not going to hurt you to go out running and stuff. But if you have, you know... Let's say you have four, you know, if you're able to work out four times a week, you definitely should do the four jitsu workouts, not like two cardio, two jiu-jitsu, because you're building the cardio and you're building the time. You know, maybe if you have like, you know, if you can go in the four days and you have some off time, you know, where you don't have time to go to the gym, then going for a run or some weights are definitely excellent. But if you have to pick between the two, stick with the jiu-jitsu, especially early on when you're trying to develop skills still, you're still so, I mean, I'm still learning as a black belt, but a white belt, you really just overwhelmed with how much is i still get overwhelmed but it's a white belt you're just like oh my god it's like so, so much out there second question there's all these aches and injuries right um are we supposed to just train through these i'm not talking about major injuries where like fractures and, and stuff like this i'm talking about you know 
aches and pains and sprains and are we just supposed to just like lap it up and just carry on training yeah man you just have to learn to you know to, to, to live with the aches and pains if you want to be serious with it you just wake up every day and you're uh and you're sore and you're achy and it's something that you live with and that's uh i mean i mean you can relate that's actually something i look up to islam how the uh how, how my friends, how they all do the, the fasting during Ramadan and, you know, they're, they're pain, they're, they're miserable and they come in and they work out anyways. And I look at that and I'm like, well, you know, if they're doing this, I'm not going to bitch about being achy. So mm-hmm. you, you can already relate. It's kind of that same idea of like, you know, you don't want to do it, but you wake up sore and don't get me wrong. If you're like too beat up and too sore, then yeah, you skip it. But there's a, but it's the most part, you just work right through it. Do you regard Gordon Ryan as one of the greatest wrestlers of all time? As in, would you Gordon regard? Ryan is a, yeah, he's definitely one of the greatest of all time. He's, would you regard you know, Habib? Would you would you regard Habib to be that as well, to some degree? Yeah, yeah, not it, not sport jujitsu. He's more sambo and wrestling, but yeah, he's he's one of the best too. Those are two of the greatest. So if you're jujitsu, you know, Gordon Ryan for MMA grappling, it would be Khabib. So if I were to ask you, in a hypothetical situation, if there was a catchweight between them, because Habib's looking quite heavy at the moment. And a lot of his training partners uh, under his camp, Islam and Abu Bakr and everyone, they said, look, the guy still moves like he moves at lightweight. If there was to be ADCC rule uh, between Gordon Ryan and Khabib, who, who, who are you backing? I mean, this is hypothetical, so, you know, you can't say, but I'm definitely going to pick Gordon. You know, I know people here probably want to hear Khabib, but <laughs> Gordon is just, uh, this, this is the sport he does, you have to figure too. He studies for it. He's like really like almost impossible to score on. I think MMA, you know, then it's a different story, but just Gordon is probably the best to ever do the sport. And I think he might could, might could win ADCC, maybe in a different weight class, but I just don't see him getting through Gordon. But, you know, I could be wrong. These things are all hypotheticals. Fair enough. Now what's going to happen? Your Muslim followers are going to go down now. People are like, can't see I know, like, exactly. They're not, they're not going to like that one, that. but it's had, I'm always honest whether it's popular or not. I always no, no. my real opinions. Uh, and that's why you run. I've picked up thousands of Muslim followers. I'm like, well, I better just say something to offend half these people. But I, I offend my followers all the time with something I say, but then I gain new ones. I know, wicked. Look, the crux of today's conversation is actually based on a series of tweets that you recently posted that went viral um, within Muslim communities uh, in the West and beyond. Um, the first one was, um, it was obviously a, a picture of a BDSM in a pride parade in New York and, and the children were next to it, a child was next to it. And then you uh, sarcastically said, oh, why doesn't Qatar ad- adopt our way of life? Or like, why are they so backward? But before we get to those series of tweets that has resulted and led to this very podcast here, tell us a bit about your upbringing and, and, and what kind of household and family setup were you raised in? Yeah, I had kind of um, kind of hippie parents, but they were luckily they were super smart and stuff. But uh, you know, I, I have luckily have good parents. But my dad got in a um, really bad car wreck uh, car wreck when I was um, like seven or eight. So so he wasn't able to help and raise me as much. He was still there for me, luckily. So I had that. And uh, my parents weren't religious; they were more agnostics. I think they did believe in God, but unfortunately, they didn't really um, talk to me too much about it. So it kind of left me. Uh, my own trying to figure it out which I mean, like i said overall they're great parents but wish they were talking about like god and maybe religion a little more because you know I, I grew up a teenager you know you start looking at religion and you know i start reading people like sam harris and this and i start looking at you know nitpicking all the bad things that happen for religion because of course you can pick bad things because humanity we do terrible things whether it's from religion politics we, we find an excuse so i would nitpick the bad stuff so i went through you know, I'm not a hardcore atheist, but went through a period where I was like, oh, you know, religion's bad, all this, until I slowly came back around. 
many atheists that I've spoken to, they go through this period where like all bad things are associated to religion uh, and all good things are somehow due to atheistic humanism. Right, so all wars are caused by religion, and yet we forget that World War One, World War Two were secular wars. The wars that followed thereafter, the Cold War was a secular war. They weren't religious wars, and it was actually uh, it was the twenty first, not the twentieth century, was perhaps the most bloodiest century in in human history, and they weren't religious wars. Um, what led to you then reconnecting with the idea of an existence of God? Um. First off, I agree with you with people they start nitpicking all the bads of religion. They don't leave, you know, they point leave out things like the communist revolution where they try to kill God and this because anything you can, if you stereo pick it, you can make it look bad. And as far as um, reconnecting with God and stuff, slow process. I think I just started looking at the complexities of things and I'm like, this can't just be random. It's not just some, you know, evolution just falls into place with humanity and how we, you know, interact with the eco- ecosystem and universe and atoms and all that. And then, um, Another time religion really hit me, I was traveling, I'd been through Italy, all the massive churches, and then I flew down to Istanbul to check it out. And there's um, there's the Blue Mosque, and there's another church, massive church, whether Sophia something. Aya Sophia. So, these two, two churches Sophia. on the same day. And they were just some of the most spectacular, if not the most spectacular buildings I've ever seen. And you can like feel the presence of God when you walk in those buildings, and you're like, wow. And you're like, these people built these, you know, one for Christianity, one for Islam. They built these two amazing building side by side for God and you know thank God the Muslims didn't tear that building down and like like you know and ruin it instead they wanted to build one to match it or uh or be better at it and just you, you, if people would build stuff like for that God obviously it's not just uh not this bad evil God that I've been reading about in uh you know books like Sam Harris so I asked if he was actually um a very important church um for uh, the Eastern Byzantine Christians uh the Orthodox Christians and when the Muslims came, they did convert it into a mosque. So I don't, I don't want anyone to watch this and think, you know, oh, well, that's not historically correct. And they did. Um, but that was as a result of the rules of engagement at the time, right? Yeah. In the very same way, I'm not making a comparison per se, in the same way during the Spanish Inquisition, so many mosques were converted into churches when, when, when Muslims were expelled. Yeah. But that was the way in which warfare was happening at that time. So yeah. when you went to Istanbul... Pardon? What I meant is that one was uh, the one was built built by Christians. Though. Istanbul is a beautiful city. Yeah, Istanbul is a beautiful city. Magnificent buildings built before you know cranes and modern technology. You see things like that, and you're like, wow, you know, religion, religion has built some amazing things. And it's also what's held you know civilizations together. You know, Western civilization is built upon Christianity. You know, a lot of Middle Eastern civilizations built upon Islam. Hmm. And really, I think people also especially in the West, don't realize how similar these two religions are. I mean, this may be a semi uh, controversial statement, but I think you guys worship the same God. I mean, some I know some Christians will say no, some Muslims probably will too, but to me it looks like to me, it looks like the same God. The big difference is Jesus, but Muslims even, I had no idea how much Muslims uh, respected Jesus as well. We love Jesus. Recently. We love Jesus. Yeah, it's like I see. Prophet Jesus, peace be upon, Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him. Uh, we regard him to be one of the most greatest messengers of all time one of the most beloved prophets of god um the miraculous birth that his noble mother uh, mary or maryam alayhi salam uh one of the greatest women in islam in, in islam um in fact there are five most beloved prophets uh, to allah to god uh one of which is uh, prophet isa or jesus amongst abraham noah moses and of course prophet muhammad and yes there, there is definitely similarities and overlaps we regard we actually refer to christians and jews as ahlul kitab the people of the book of which muslim men can marry christian and jewish women 
um, we, you know, the scriptures, the Torah, the Psalms, um, the, the Bible. These are scriptures that we believe were the divine scriptures of the past. But of course, with Islam we, and Christian, we differ on obviously the Trinitarian uh, conception of Jesus being God, the Spirit, and and the Son. And obviously, we regard him to be a, a, a messenger. But we accept that he's also the Messiah. So, hundred percent. Lots of overlaps and lots of similarities. Lots for us to converse about uh, when it comes to unifying. Which is another thing that you mentioned. Another tweet of yours that went viral was that Christians and uh, Christians and Muslims should actually unite against the LGBT agenda and and, and all of that. Um, but you've been quite critical of Christianity as well, though. Um, tell me, tell tell me about what resulted in that. Yeah, I mean, the main reason I'm critical of it is because it's just um, it's been so weak and it's letting. Uh, it's letting people walk all over them. And it's just kind of sad being, even though I'm personally not a Christian, I grew up in the West and our whole foundation is based off Christianity. So to watch people just like mock it and stuff and like people need to stand up a little more. I know it's not easy, you know, with the media and stuff here, but there's like, there's all, they're constantly, they're mocking like Jesus on TV. There's like, there's people saying like, Oh, tra trans Jesus, this, the, um, another big one, obviously is the LGBT thing. They're pushing so hard. It's just all in the schools. They're pushing trans kids. It's just turning to uh it's turned into degeneracy. I think Christians are fighting back a little bit. They're finally starting to wake up. And they're realizing how far it's going. I think it's, I think the reason I was critical of them, it was kind of like, hey, we need to wake up and do something and fight back. And like you said earlier, you know, there have seen some videos of like Muslims and Christians going into the schools and, and rallying together and fighting against this. Michigan, I think that's yeah. a, that was a huge wake up call for some of these Christians that have been told Muslims are bad. And they see these videos going viral of Muslims and Christians standing side by side. And it's like, oh, maybe these people have a lot more in common with me than, you know, the godless communists that are trying to tell my kid at six that they can pick their gender. Just, you mm. know, sick. They're seeing how sick and defiled the other side is. And you better, you know, you better make allies with people a lot closer to you. I mean, for our viewers and listeners, um, it should be made clear that when it comes to, forget about Jews and Christians, when it comes to issues of preventing greater harms for the greater benefit of society, Muslims can and should actually unify with all constituents of society, for example, whether it's drugs, prostitution, whatever types of social and moral degeneracy, whether it's the LGBTQ agenda, whatever it may be, whatever it is, it, you don't have to be a Jew and Christian for Muslims. This for our listeners, I just want, and as for the Jews and Christians, there's even further similarities because there is a shared Abrahamic heritage. And Allah, God even says in the Quran, to find a common word. With the Jews and Christians So God actually instructs us The Muslims to, When you engage with the Jews and Christians Find a commonality between yourselves Find a common word Believe in one God And then find your commonality And engage from there on And I agree with you But I tell you the experience That we've had unfortunately Sometimes Christianity has capitulated It's been It's been castrated it's, and, and sadly We can look at it historically From the period of enlightenment because there's lots happening in Europe between the church and then obviously reformist uh, philosophers and thinkings at the time. And obviously there were arguments that were made which would be justified and historically correct that oppressive uh, policies of the church which made people rebel against it. And they were kind of, and then the separation of church and state uh, happened. And then it was from that point really that sadly Christianity didn't actually represent much in terms of its law and order, right? It was this kind of secular liberalization of basically individualism, which then very quickly morphed into humanistic atheism. And basically everything goes. Everything goes. All freedom's allowed. Everything's allowed. So as long as, so long as you don't infringe on someone else's freedom. But now, how do you actually, what does this freedom mean? 
and we've seen we're seeing some of the some of the horrific outputs of what this freedom can lead to, right? Whereby, yeah, it's it, it's a tough call because I'm you know I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I like freedoms of the West and all this, but then I'm seeing a clear uh, it's clearly gone way too far. You know, mm-hmm. I would like to find that middle ground, and it's just uh, it seems to be deteriorating rapidly too. I think part of it is not a lot of people do have faith in the U.S. anymore. Like most of my Christian friends are just, you know, they're kind of Christians, but they're not like real Christians. But almost all my Muslim friends like actually practice their religion. You know, maybe not perfect. People, uh, pe- people, you know, people might, you know, mess up occasionally, but some of them do seem to follow it perfectly. And a lot of the ones that, that don't, you know, they're, if they slip up and drink, it's not going to be like all the time. It's going to be, uh, you know, they try to do their best. Most of them will, will actually fast most of Ramadan. You know, there may be one day where they, you know, some of the guys may have worked out. They're so thirsty. They drink water after training. So maybe no, no one's perfect. No one's perfect. But for the most part, I see people actually taking their faith seriously. And a lot of the fighters don't fight during Ramadan because mm. they're taking it so seriously. They know they can't. You know, like I train. Uh, I had a Muslim trainer. I'm training a couple of Muslim brothers, the Basharat brothers. You yes. know, from their Afghan brothers from yep. England, actually. Yep. And, you know, they take it so seriously because they, they do take the fasting seriously. And when you're not drinking, you know, not eating at all, it's, it's hard to get hard workouts in. And it's just seeing the difference in the faith between the two communities has been a real wake up call to me. And it's like, man, I wish uh, seeing that is what I was trying to, trying to convey in the tweet. Like, man, I wish we had this community. We took the religion this seriously. And, you know, a lot of Muslims have big, tight ties to their families and their community as well. And that's slipping in the U.S. That might be part of our problem. We don't have a... Uh, a lot of us don't have big families we're tied to. We don't have any community we're Why tied to. Why do you think that is? People. Why do you think that's happening? I don't know, man. It's been a slow... It's been that way since I was born, but it couldn't have been that way that long. These big, you know, family and community. I think the community ties were tied in through church, like I was saying. The church is what we keep people together. Mm-hmm. So when the churches started dying, the people started losing contact. I think that's where a lot of this degeneracy is coming from. People have nothing to do. They're not tied with anyone. So they start, you know, doing drugs, prostitution, weird pushing the weird homosexuality and again i'm not i don't hate gay people but it should be um in my opinion it should be under the radar they shouldn't be celebrating on tv running around half naked other than san francisco they literally be having sex in the streets but if straight people did that they'd arrest them but because they're like gay they'd be like oh we can't the cops can't mess with them it's just gone to the complete degeneracy i think this stuff should be um keeping behind closed closed doors i don't want to like push to my face and they just came to i don't know if it's deliberate just uh, picking apart of things, which keeps getting put further and further. As Muslims living in the West, as, as a minority community, you know, to some degree we've accepted that, look, there's different setups here. People have different family setups here. We, as a minority community, have to accept and tolerate that this is something that's legally allowed, now legally protected. 30 years ago, it wasn't in the UK, it was a crime. 34 years ago, it was a crime to be a homosexual publicly. Um, even, even, uh, but even, even the term homosexual, JK, it's not, you know, in Islam, we don't identify and we don't, we don't identify from sexuality. That's the thing. Uh, you know, whether you're, whether it's same sex, opposite sex, hetero, homo, we don't actually use those labels to define ourselves. Uh, so when these labels start then coming out, and then we're now seeing, the, you know, the, they can now marry, can now adopt. Uh, you can now you cannot criticize them in a particular way because it could be seen as homophobic hate speech. People can get cancelled. People lose jobs, um, and now it's coming to our children. Now, in British law, the, there's a RSE bill called the Relationship and Sex Education Bill, where children in primary schools as young as four and five are being taught that it is okay for David to identify as Emma or Abdul to identify as Amina or 
and 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 like it's okay to be uh, have attraction towards the same gender, even though you're being taught at home completely something else, right? And it's being shoved down the throats of our children, and it's got to a point now where, quite frankly, we're not going to accept it. Um, no, I mean, we, we can accept living in a society. We can we can accept living in a society where you are legally protected. We, we won't agree with it, but we'll accept. But once you now start coming towards our children, nah. I, I strongly agree with this. You know, I have a daughter too. She went through school. They were pushing the same stuff on here, and it really, uh, it really angered me. And there was, I would see some of these poor kids, mostly girls at her school at least, is when this stuff was new. They'd be identifying as like the opposite sex, but they didn't. They would just confuse young girls that were going through a tough teenage time. And as dads are telling them, like, "Oh, you could be a boy." It's just, uh, it's sick and it's degenerate. And the thing is, this is extremely unpopular with Westerners as well. But we've just sat back and accepted it. So that's why I think it's important that you know the Muslims and the Westerners do bond and fight over this because we don't like it either. But the people in charge are pushing it regardless. It's not popular. But it just shows you someone has an agenda because this is not—it's not happening random. Agendas just start getting pushed everywhere randomly. And I don't know. I mean, hopefully you guys don't have have these in England, but you will if you don't. We have these um, drag shows for kids now. No, it's in the last couple of years, well. they started, started getting here. pushed. Yeah, it's just everywhere. They have these grown men coming up dressed as women. I'm sure these guys are are pedophiles. No, no one's going to do this. It's not a pedophile. They dress. They wear these kids. They dress the kids up as girls. And they dance with them. It's just one of the. You look at this. And you're like, how can you, uh, how can you say this is okay? This is when I started seeing this. This is when it's like, you know, maybe we Christian Christianity to come back strong, or maybe you know the West does need Muslim to come in and convert to Muslim or, or Islam or something, because this is this is just sick and deranged. I don't want to live in this world. This is the first. I've always thought I would stay in U.S. forever, but I started looking at maybe maybe I'd go to Latin America where Christianity stronger, or maybe you know even the Middle East, some of these places. It's uh, I don't want to live in this degenerate culture if it keeps decaying. Were you homeschooled as a, when you were young? Were you homeschooled by your parents? Yeah, until like uh, middle school. Okay. And would you ever consider homeschooling your daughter? Or did you homeschool your daughter? Or did you ever, or were you or were you in completely differently somewhere else spiritually at that time when she was in school? How old is she, by the way? Yeah, at the time of school, I, I did talk to her a lot, but that was during the peak of my, uh, my fighting career. Okay. Um, so it was, uh, it was really tough. You know, luckily I had a lot of conversations with her, which I think is, if you're a parent, it's really important to sit your kid down and have like logical conversations with her. For me, I, I didn't try to like lecture her. I would just try to ask her why she thinks things and kind of, you know, tell her what I think, but not, not tell her you're wrong, I'm right. Just try to create, uh, teach her to think for herself. And, you know, that worked out quite well. She started rejecting all the ideology without me telling her to. Wicked. She started seeing it, you know, and it just, uh, I think, it, you know, I am having more kids. So, if, yeah, maybe on homeschool. It depends on, it's a lot of work too, but when you see how these schools are, it's hard if you're not with your kid a lot and you just put them in the, put them around these kids, they're going to start, you know, following their peers. And if that's what everyone's pushing, it's hard for these kids to resist. You know, in the tweet where you said, look, Christians don't look at Muslims with disdain. You know, you guys have similarities, you know, you should look to them. They have strong family ties and those things. Those, all of those things, by the way, were, were very correct. And statistically speaking, you know, there's some shocking statistics at the moment. Let's, I mean, let's, let's talk about Christianity in the West. Just very recently, the 2021 census report has come out um, in the UK. Christianity is in a nosedive decline. What religion do you think is on the rise? Um, my guess would be Islam. It's just, uh, and it, well, something interesting too, like I said at the beginning, or I don't know if we were recording yet, but when I hit those tweets out, I probably had, you know, 100 DMs between my um, Instagram 
and Twitter of, uh, unfortunately I didn't respond to all of them, there's just too many, but uh, of people reaching out telling me about the religion. And it was interesting because no one was disrespectful about it, but just showed me like, oh, these people are really, uh, you know, they're actively out there trying to, to get recruits and no one ever does it with Christianity. And again, part of that reason might be because you know, I, I grew up in a Christian nation, so maybe no one, uh, people assume I already know all about it, but it's also like, I don't think they're out there uh, trying to get new recruits. And, you know, like I said, everyone was so respectful about it. They're just like sending me literature, or, like videos, if I want to learn about the religion. No one's like, oh, come convert to Islam. They're just like, hey, if you want to learn about religion, I'm here to talk. And I think that's uh, extremely respectful. And did anyone, did anyone make pr uh, prayers for you in your DMs? Because Muslims do that a lot. We always make prayers for people that we love and respect. When they're non-Muslim, were people making prayer for you? They must have, surely. Yeah, I think so. I had a lot of tweets, so it got kind of overwhelming because I was kind of, yeah, yeah. I had so many. Like, I saw I loads. To, like, kind of just I saw loads of prayer. I saw loads of what we call in Arabic dua, prayer, supplications. Uh, ya Allah, guide brother Jake. You're already a brother, brother Jake to Islam. I mean, yeah. which, which we do want, by the way. But this is something that a journey that you have to take yourself and have conviction and, and, and contentment yourself. So... Christianity is in a decline in the UK. Like by 2050, it may well be a minority religion. Right? But that's that's how crazy that is, and that's only 28 years away. Yeah, that's crazy. By, by Pew, Pew Research has said by 2070, in the US, less than half of the US will identify as Christian, and that's mad. Right? That's yeah. That's like 50 years. So in 50 years, less than half of Americans will identify as christians the the rising religions in the west right is atheism and islam islam is actually the fastest growing religion in the world by 2060 we will make up one quarter of whole of humanity i want to ask you another thing who do you think is the largest ethnic group of conversions in the western world largest ethnic that, the, the, like the newcomers the western to, world yeah like new converts, not like new converts. Over. New converts. It's white women, white Caucasian white women. women. Really? Yeah. That's in like London and stuff, or in uh, the UK and in Europe. the The largest uh, ethnic group of newcomers to the faith are white European Caucasian women, and you know what? That does not surprise me either, because the traditional roles of what we would assume men and women should be doing the the man as the provider the supporter the defender I, I i don't like this term but but the islamic the patriarch in terms of the leader of the home the leader of the pack the captain of the ship whatever you want to call it right and the way the capitalists and the neoliberals would want it of course they want women in the workplace there's more tax right and you put women in the workforce you know less children do you know that there's more dogs per household in america than there are newborns it's all stats. Yeah, it's not surprising at all. People are, you know, I live in a lot of these cities and people are, people are hardly having kids and having them too late. You know, I wished I had more kids younger, but it's like you live in these cultures, like I said, no one's having kids. You don't even like think about it. It's just like it becomes normal when no one's, no one's talking about kids and you're way past the age when you should be. It's what's turned the norm. It's what they're pushing. And it, yeah, it doesn't surprise me, like I said, about the women. I never really thought about that aspect, but like they're, they're pushing men to be weaker here and stuff too. They're telling like, oh, men shouldn't be in charge of his household. But women don't like that either. These two, you have these weak guys, they think they're being told that they're not supposed to be in charge of their household. They're not supposed to make the decisions. But women don't want this either. They want a strong man. Doesn't mean you're a dictator, you know. Mm -hmm. I always ask girls I'm dating, you know, their opinion and get their advice. But ultimately, I make the final decisions. And I think this is how most girls prefer it. And it doesn't mean- That's how it's always been. And, and, yeah, that's exactly. how it's always been, and we and we survived absolutely fine since whenever it being that way.
yeah, we're biologically different. People don't want to like admit the biology. And some yeah. of these girls, they'll pretend like they resist it, but ultimately when it comes down to it, when they're in charge of relationship, they're not happy. You, t- you never see these girls that are happy when they're bossing their man around, they're making the decisions, they become miserable. 100%. What, what would you think? I mean, if I were to posit this to you, and, and I'm reflecting a concern uh, that many Muslims have voiced, that look, we want to unite with our Christian. Of course, why wouldn't we? We're the minority community here, by the way. We are we are the most besieged community post 9-11, war on terror. You know, remember I, I said to you on Twitter, 357% more coverage Muslims get for carrying out acts of terrorism and political violence when the actual main perpetrators are white supremacists and far-right nationalists. But we get 357% more coverage. The, the point is, Muslims seek allies, right? But, but we want principled alliances. Like alliances that don't require us to compromise. When we see the things that you've highlighted in your tweets, as in the direction that the, tra- the trajectory that Christianity has taken, it worries us because those yeah. influences can influence us, right? We we want Christians. Yeah. We want, look. We want Christians to become more Christian or become Muslim. We don't want them to become less Christian. That's the thing. Yeah, no, exactly. You don't want to just be like start being like. And that's the whole thing. Just that's what they've kind of done here. They just kept caving, caving. To the point where it's like, I think they are starting to finally wake up. It's pushed too far, but that, exactly, they caved over and over. Like one was, uh, you know, when they pushed gay marriage at the time, I thought, oh, you know, it's not a big deal. But then you see, okay, it is a slippery slope. They weren't going to stop there. In terms of future travels, I mean, you went to Istanbul. Um, is there any other Muslim countries that you've been to? Yeah, I've been to um, Abu Dhabi and Dubai, um, which was uh, it was great. Went there with one of the sheiks and trained jujitsu. Been to Dubai. Been to um, Morocco uh, uh, to train some fighters as well. Wicked. We were the luckiest to, um, to guest to the king events. That was a little bit wild. Some guys, uh, some fighters, trained under the king, and we were uh, staying basically basically just palace. He even came through, got to beat the king real quick. That was uh, that was amazing. And all of those, just the um, hospitality was amazing, over the top. I don't know if that's a Middle Eastern thing or a Muslim, or I guess Morocco's Africa, actually. But just uh, no, it's Muslim. It's Muslim. Morocco, such, Morocco such is a Muslim country. Such, such hospitality. Mm. I mean, look. I mean, one one of the one of the noblest things a, a Muslim can do is be a good host to guests. It is something which, in fact, many Muslims from as west as Morocco to as east as Indonesia to as north as Dagestan to as south as Tanzania, wherever you go in that part of that world. Uh, being good host to guests is something that's paramount um, to being a good Muslim, as with your neighbours, be it Muslim or non-Muslim. Um, and during these travels of yours, uh, during these travels to yours to, to the said countries, did you observe some of these societal differences with America and broadly speaking the West? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough one, but yeah, you don't see the, you know... Well, one, everyone's a lot, lot friendlier, more hospitable. Uh, people invited me, you know, I remember people invited me to their house for tea. My girlfriend was freaking out at first, like, we're going to strangers' house with tea, we're going to get kidnapped to ISIS. I'm like, no, I think it's, my instincts are good. I think these guys just want to drink tea and, like, talk, you know. Stuff like, like, that stuff doesn't happen in America. I mean, that's happened in Morocco and there. And you just, you know, people seem to have big bonds. They're friendly. They don't have these... Uh, you know, you don't you don't see the generosity on the street, which is which is good. You don't see lots of open uh, open or no dr- uh, drug and alcohol use. I'm not. Um, I mean, I drink occasionally. I'm not like alcoholic. I I could be fine if there was no alcohol. But personally, you know, I drink occasionally, so I don't think it should be banned. But it uh, 
in the West, it is too heavily pushed. It needs to be in every activity. People were freaking out. I believe it was banned at the World Cup. And it's like, man, you come on, you can go a week without alcohol. Respect. I think that was part of the tweet I sent. Like, respect their traditions. If they don't want alcohol, that's uh, something you should be able to deal with. The, the, cra- the, the crazy thing that you mentioned, right, is um, you mentioned alcohol, which is an interesting aspect. And, and, and let's kind of like bring the podcast to kind of the, the concluding topic, right? Is let's talk about the Qatar World Cup, right? The first Muslim majority country to host the biggest sporting event uh, in the world, right? And Qatar, b- by no means, is, is regarded as an Islamic state. Because an Islamic state is a, it would be a state that is ruled comprehensively by Sharia law, um, which Qatar isn't, and Qatar doesn't claim it to be. However, it is definitely a Muslim state that has aspects of those laws within it, or at least those uh, traditions and, and, and attitudes. Um, and alcohol was allowed in the Qatar world. It wasn't allowed in the stadiums. Uh, oh, this so is very it wasn't sad. even banned. Yeah, it wasn't. No, no, it wasn't banned. There's, there's, there's people getting uh, rat faced there, but just in certain areas and certain quarters, you're allowed to drink in, right? You're, you're not allowed to drink in the stadiums. And it's interesting because Pierce Morgan and others, you know, other pundits that somewhat have been principled and consistent have said, look, there's other countries out there, European countries that ban alcohol in their stadiums, France being an example, right? Why is it an issue? Is it an issue because it's a Muslim country? And what's it surfaced even now, Jake, is that women are now coming out, white Western football fan, fans, women are coming out saying, we've had a wonderful World Cup experience. We're not being whistled at, we're not, being, we're not around drunk men, we're topless guys, we're, we're not, no, one's, no, no one's touching our bums, no one's catcalling cat us. It's actually been such a family-friendly World Cup. And, and, and now the Sunday Times couldn't ignore it. The Independent couldn't ignore it. The BBC, you've literally got women's rights activists who you would think are the most, div, like, the most headstrong feminists out there. They're now saying, you know what? A World Cup without alcohol is actually decent. Well, that's an interesting point because I remember you know, going to those countries with a girlfriend. She's like, oh, are people going to be like, you know, all of me and stuff? And I'm like, no, it's the opposite. And it's like, you know, there's no... There's not, I mean, you can't say no, it can happen anywhere, but there's very little harassment of women and stuff in those countries. It's just looked down upon so heavily that guys aren't going to come up and grab a girl and like smack them. And it's uh, very respectful. Like I said, there's, you know, the pros and cons of anything, but people just wanted to jump to the negative. Like, I didn't even know they had alcohol there. Like, they made such a big deal out of it. I thought it was banned from the whole thing. It's like, there's no reason why they can't go watch the game and then get a drink after. The one of the English football players say that, said, look, guys, can you enjoy the World Cup without, without alcohol? Surely for a couple of hours. But yeah, it's accessible there, but just not in the stadiums to avoid the kind of madness that we saw in Russia 2018, in France 2020, in previous football tournaments where it was just outright drunken hooliganism, right? And we and the, and the Qatari government wanted to avoid that. Um, also, but however, the main issue with this Qatar World Cup was the LGBTQ issue. It was the fact that supposedly Qatar has uh, anti-LGBT laws. When the truth of the matter is, Jake, is that Qatar has specific laws to do with public affection, right? And that applies to man and woman and anything else that you think is an appropriate relationship. Basically, because it's a conservative society, right? Islamic tradition says that, look, you shouldn't, you don't, you don't, you don't demonstrate public affection, whether it's snogging or whether it's touching each other's bum or like, you know, making out. This is not something people do in the part of the world. Whether you're straight or anything else, it applies to all, right? And so that so that specific law or custom was then quickly turned into, oh, they hate gays. Um, and you can't be gay openly. We're talk- whereas Qatar was trying to say that no, you you can't be anything openly. Just 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 don't show these 
public affection. We don't make out in, in public, right? We dress in a particular way here. We know there's not much nakedness out here. And this quickly got whipped up into a huge political uh, uh, campaign. Uh, and I don't know if you saw the whole kind of German team closing their mouths. There was the one armband campaign where seven European teams, England, Denmark, Belgium, Netherlands, uh, whichever country was it, Wales, um, there's Switzerland, there was, about, there was about seven countries that basically said, nah, we're going to go there, we're going to wear the rainbow colour LGBTQ armband against uh, the Qatari government's wishes and FIFA's wishes. And when FIFA threatened them with yellow cards, they all dropped. They all bricked it, Jake. Yeah, no, that's 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 what the media does. They take things, they twist them, and they lie to the people. And it's unfortunate they've been doing that for years. But uh, you know, luckily with you know social media podcasts, we're able to like fact check them and call them out on their BS. And I think uh, more and more of the public has lost faith faith in the media. They realize they do make up stuff. They lie to us. They send us a twisted story. Like you said, it's no, it's it's for all people, and they make it all about gay. It makes no sense. And it was the U.S. was actually going to put that uh, that silly flag on as well. And we were seeing some picture of that. And it's like, come on, you don't need to go and bring bring your politics to Qatar and push the push the gay agenda. Just go out there, play soccer. You know, you don't like. like why, why do you have to push this agenda at, at a World Cup? You know, it's like it's just. Like, I should well, say, what's more crazy though, Jake? Don't do actually hurts the most. Is that you're not even residents or citizens of that country. You're visitors, you're tourists for 28 days. You expect a whole nation to drop their customs and their religion to accommodate what for 28 days exactly? It's crazy. And then obviously there were some closet racists. You know, when, 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 we, when Muslims were engaging with people online, they were like, well, what about Muslims in America? And you guys have your mosques. And Well, hold on, we're, we're citizens there. We've been there for 40, 50, 60 years. We pay taxes and invest in those countries. We contribute positively. We can try influencing laws and require religious privileges that are afforded to other faith groups. That's not the same as a tourist coming here and saying, no, hey guys, for the duration where I'm here, you have to allow everything that I think is it should be allowed. It's absolutely bonkers. Yeah, I agree. I could never imagine going to another country and saying, live by my rules. If I'm visiting there, I'm going to follow the rules. Like you said, it's different if you immigrate somewhere and then you want to start, you know, like, hey, it, it, let us meet in the middle somewhere. But just to show up as a tourist, it's like I look at that country's rules and I know anytime before I travel somewhere, I try to look at the customs and know like, hey, I better follow that. Like, I think it's, uh, you know, Abu Dhabi, you can't just walk around with your shirt off off the beach. So I'm gonna, if I come off the beach, I'm going to put my shirt on, you know, you could just when you're swimming, it's OK. But when you start coming a certain amount of feet off, you got to put it on. So, you, you you know, you'd be aware of these things. If you're with girls, you like a certain, you know, length of the clothes they're supposed to be wearing. It's like you just let them know. <laughs> you follow the rules of every country you're going to. And the same with some of the Asian countries. You know, you go to Thailand, you, you better not say anything about their king or you're going to go to jail. So, you know, you're not going to go there and disrespect their king. <laughs> another another topic of conversation I've seen you tweet about a fair amount is the, the U.S. military industry complex, right? Um, the industry and, and and there was one that he said that look Muslims or Islam is not an enemy of America it was something that was created by the CIA um, to basically create this kind of like make them the enemy the bogeyman um, and I want to just let you in on something right Barack Obama officially apologized for the invasion of Iraq because he admitted that there were no WMDs it was all about regime change and it created ISIS so, I mean, I mean, the thing is, yeah, in the 9-11 attacks, yeah, there was not a single Afghan in that plane. There wasn't a single Iraqi in that plane. But a million people got killed in Iraq. Overwhelming majority of whom were elderly women, children. They weren't Ba'athists. They weren't ISIS. Uh, 
uh, Afghanistan has been handed back over to the Taliban. You're now having to be. You have to. You have to actually talk to them now. You have to deal with them now, right? So you know the war on terror was it was a horrific two decades for Muslims um, in the Eastern world and for us as diaspora communities here because you had laws that were being introduced here uh, that were spying on us, spying on our children, spying on our mosques, and it's been a, it's, it's been a difficult two decades. And to see yourself tweeting about that was very interesting because. I think sometimes we forget that military uh, advancements and money, fundamentally is money, right? Whether it's oil or the sale of weapons and the protection, and, and that's justified by ideology, that is basically what causes wars uh, and, 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 and then results in the likes of ISIS and stuff like that. I mean, what made you tweet that? What, what made you tweet that? And when we were chatting to each other on Twitter, you were saying, Diddy, I've, I, my views have changed about Islam and Muslims. I used to hold those views. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, those wars are. Um, I've been critical of those wars for a long time. It's just they're uh, they're pointless money making machines, and it's like uh, you know the, these wars. The, the, it seems like the middle, the middle industrial complex. They just sell weapons, and who knows? Maybe there's other reasons, uh, oil, whatnot. But they want these like constant, endless wars, and that's what you know that went into to Iraq over uh, 9/11. Made no sense. Iraq had nothing to do with it. Afghanistan, you know, maybe he was there, but it's. Uh, Throwing over the Taliban made no sense either. Like you said, they came in, they took back over after 20, I think we were in uh, Afghanistan for 20 years. We were there for 20 years at war just to give it up. It shows how pointless this is. Mm -hmm. We were recently trying to overthrow Syria too, which I don't even know why. There was never real, any explanation. We were helping ISIS there. He was fighting ISIS and we were supplying ISIS with the weapons. It was complete madness. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you know, I don't want to excuse these organizations like ISIS because, you know, they're disgusting. But we did do the events that helped create them. And we actually helped arm them. We literally gave them weapons in Syria. So you look at it, it's, uh, it's a, you know, a lot of things in the world are complex. There's not always, you know, one side's one side's more wrong than the other. I think that situation where both sides were really bad and made some mistakes, but we did, we were the ones funding it and creating it. If those things wouldn't have been there, you know, the animosity would have, would have been away. People are like, oh, some of the Muslim world hates us. And it's like, yeah, we're doing things to be hated. So it's, uh, and I think a lot of the Muslim hate too, it comes from our media. They needed to these wars. So they would just push, push propaganda. But luckily, I think the public's waking up in the West. You know, not everyone, but a lot of people are realizing we didn't want these wars. They're realizing like, oh, the Muslims do have the same values as us. It's uh, Things take time, but it's definitely way better than 9-11. When 9-11 hit, it was, uh, I don't think I really had any Muslim friends at the time. So I, but I never, luckily I didn't get sucked too into the, uh, the anti-Islamic thing. But even a little bit, you start being like, oh, maybe it, maybe the Muslims are a threat. And but then, you know, I started having Muslim friends and realizing, like, oh, they're not the threat. It's more just uh, media propaganda to push hate and divide and to keep these wars going. Do you have these kind of conversations with your uh, fellow peers in jiu-jitsu and wrestling and MMA? Do you have these kind of conversations? Or is it like, uh, we're in the mats, we're training, there's no time for it? Or do you kind of like, do you actually engage with these, in, on, on these topics with, with your peers? We do sometimes, usually not quite as in-depth, because usually usually when you're there working out, you don't, but sometimes like after, or if you're hanging out with the guys, you know, off the mat. So I definitely do have these conversations, but it's not like, uh, you know, I also don't want to bring politics every day to the gym. Of course. Fortunately, in fighting, uh, most of the guys, you know, they think fairly similar. They're fairly, uh, I guess you'd say right-leaning, you know, values or against all this woke nonsense. And we do have a... a in Vegas, there's tons of Muslims coming in, but everyone's, there's Muslim on the mats, no religion, everyone's complete equals, you know, Muslims, long Christians, long atheists, training just fine, it doesn't matter, white, brown, Asian, 
it's that's what's so great about jujitsu. When you train jujitsu, there's there's no racism. Doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, equals on the mat. And I think when people when people do something like that, it, it gets rid of all these like biases and uh, and you know, hey, even if someone's gay, you know, might not train with them, but we, we don't we don't care. It's like everyone's like uh, everyone's fine and equal on the mats. Um, do you know what I have found? Um, I've boxed at amateur level when I was a teenager, and I and I've and I've just started jujitsu. It's, it's been about six, seven, eight months. Um, I feel that combat sports and training it can actually bring law and order in your life and the kind of law and order that or, or the organizational structure in your life and purpose that religion gives you right, or organized religion gives you i feel that that resonates with, or it can very easily resonate with people in mma and, and, and combat sports what do you think yeah i think i've actually thought that before that like jujitsu mma it is it is close to uh giving us what people are lacking from religion so like I said, even though I believe in God, I haven't gone to organized religion yet. And I think it's, uh, I think a big part of that is because I have such a, a community and that's what religion gives people. I have people that'll do things for me. You're around them, you're equals. You know, I haven't been to religious services, right? But I would imagine if you guys all go to mosque, no one really cares what racist you, what race you are, or, you know, rich or poor. I imagine you guys all have that same feeling as you're all equals there. And it's, uh, and that, yeah, that's, that's great about fighting. It is kind of a, once your religion, but it's a community. It gives you that like strong community bond that is that is missing in the West, which I think is part of the reason why it is a, a DK. I've actually never thought about this, but everyone's always like, "Oh man, fighters are so like grounded and they think similar. They're all against this stuff." But maybe it is because we have a community. Maybe that's part of it. Part of it's also because you know we work so hard for what we get. Nothing's handed to us for free. We don't believe in like you know handouts and not and not hard work. And it's just you know you're in there training so hard, so we have similar mindsets. Jake, bringing the podcast to a close, right? Um, and, I, and I do want to kind of wrap up on the kind of the, the, the unity. You know, I want to I want to end on a positive message. You know, um, what kind of advice can you give to your fellow American Christian white brothers and sisters, uh, people that resonate within your demographic, whether it's your demographic as uh, an, an Anglo-American, um, if that's the correct term, or as a, as a white man, or, or someone with a Christian heritage, what it, whatever it is, what would be your message in terms of appealing to them and, you know, how they deal with Muslims on this specific issue, uh, on, the, on the LGBT indoctrination or agenda, what would your advice or, or, or words be to them? Because I'm sure many will tune in, because is this the first Muslim podcast you've done? Yeah, I know it definitely is. Like I said, I, I get a lot of podcast offers and I usually, you know, I've done so many, someone wants to turn them down, but I'm like, oh, this could be something totally different. I like doing uh, different things. So, so basically the question is advice, what you'd give Christians to the Muslims trying yeah, to work fellow together? Yeah, like, we're, we're, we're Christians, yes, but, but, but Americans and, and like, those who identify as Christians, white Christian yeah. Americans. Yeah, no, I don't even identify as a Christian. I'm still strongly against this wokeness. That's why I'm kind of telling Christians, let's get your stuff together. And I think, you know, we all have the same goal. We're being, uh, the people that are running things are the small minority, but somehow they're able to get power and push this stuff in our schools, even though they're maybe 10% of the population, but they're the ones that are controlling this stuff, you know, our politics. Somehow they control our politicians. Like I said, it's weird. I don't know who's funding this, why it has so much power, but somehow they are. So even though it's not popular, they're just going and pushing it. So we need to let them know that we don't accept it. You know, if your parents go to those, go to the school meetings and, and stand side like, you know, if they're Christians, Muslims, uh, atheists, because I'm sure some of the atheists even hate this, you know, some probably the 
atheists pushing this, but I'm sure some still don't want their kid being told they can pick their gender and this crazy nonsense. But uh, I think in, overall, people need to work together more. Don't look at people as your enemy. And that's what's great about fighting in jiu-jitsu. You realize people of different backgrounds, you know, Hindu, Muslim, Christian, Jews, we can all work together. Don't look at someone like, oh, they're my enemy. Look where you can find your common ground. Even the people, uh, even people, maybe they're saying something you strongly don't like, go talk to them and look where you can find the common ground and maybe have a conversation with them. And sometimes you can actually sway people's opinions if you're like polite instead of just being like cussing them out and yelling at them. If you go have a polite conversation, you're a lot more likely to win people over. You know, you've done a very interesting tweet, right? Uh, you said, if you insult a Muslim, you fear your life. If you insult a Jew, you will lose your job. If you insult a Christian, nothing will happen. I remember yesterday on WhatsApp, we were talking about certain countries or entities that get blank checks, billions of dollars to do what they do. And then I, I gave you the example of their sabotage of our politics here. Remember, we were chatting last night and I sent you the screenshot. Um, what I'm going to say to you basically is, what Christians, can't, look, they, they need to like harden up a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, hard enough, the religion is going to die. It's it's a dying religion unless they change course. And it's sad, you know, someone that grew up in the Western civilization, if it's the religion I'm founding on, is dying. So I think, you know, it'd be nice to see them have a, to revamp. Otherwise, it's not going to be around. <laughs> right. I want to appeal to you, Jake. I don't want you to think, yo, Dilly set me up now or nothing like that. But I want to say that one of them, one of them, I'm sure if you speak to the Bashar brothers, they, they will agree with me. One of the and all your Muslim friends, in fact, I'm sure they will be of the same opinion of me. One of the most beautiful things a Muslim can do for another, uh, for a non-Muslim, or for, even for a Muslim, is to remember them in their prayers, to make du'a for them, to supplicate for them, right? And ask God for their guidance, for their help, for their aid, for their assistance. I implore with you to please look into Islam. Please do it, brother. Yeah, no, I definitely... I, I will. I'm not going to do it fast. I'm not going no, no, no. to such I'm going to start slowly reading. If a lot of people reach out to me, I'm not like, you know, it's hard when you grow up non-religious and then just be like, oh, I've become religious, especially a religion that's not the main religion in your culture. But uh, it, it is interesting. I've had, you know, good experience with Islam. It does, uh, you know, maybe it does speak to me a little more than Christianity. <laughs> I mean, just, I mean, just on a foundational one, right? You know, the Islamic belief is, 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 is part of the Abrahamic tradition. We believe in one God. We associate no partners with him in worship or in anything. We believe in all the prophets of the past, from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses to Jesus and the final messenger Muhammad wasallam. We affirm the scriptures of the past and we say that the Quran is the final message. If there's any other questions that you have, Jake, please do let me know and I can connect you with some people. And if there's any questions you have, you, you're more than welcome to ask me, bro. Yeah, we'll stay in touch, and I'll uh, I'll make I'll figure out how to get out there. Like I said, I train the Basharat brothers; they're from England. I'll figure out an excuse to uh, to come out there. Maybe get one of them fighting out there, and we can connect and uh, cruise. You're London, you said, right? Yeah, London, Bedford, and, and I've already said to you, my my invitation is to you. I would love for you to come to uh, the UK. Would love to host you. I would love for you to meet my professors and uh, just show you around. Take you to Speakers Corner. The famous iconic Hyde Park Speakers Corner where there's crazy debates between atheists and Christians and Muslims and feminists and it's crazy. Have you ever had a Speakers Corner in Hyde Park? What is it? Speakers Corner, Hyde Park. I, have, I haven't, no. It's basically where people turn up there every Sunday and they just debate. They'll publicly debate about 
everything relating to man life and universe and it gets really heated sometimes but it, it's for great entertainment so if you ever come i want you to come and i'd love to be uh, to love to host you jake great thanks so much man jake it was an absolute pleasure having you on uh, truly an honor um and i wish i uh, hope that the next time we meet each other will be in person bro great man hopefully I'll, yeah we'll stay in touch and hopefully i'll see you soon jake take care bro brothers and sisters i hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as i did um please remember jake in your du'as that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides him to what is most pleasing to him azza wa jal um i mean and you know there's so much to take from that uh, engagement that i just had with jake um putting aside you know the conversations we had about christianity and islam it is the fact that there is a worrying trend that is taking place and has been for the last couple of years um it's been there we know it's been there we're seeing its trajectory we've seen how it's been moving and now it's literally come to the doorsteps of our children and, and in their schools and we do need to kind of get our act together and in terms of seeking alliances yes we should always be seeking alliances 100% you know the islam is not against uh, alliances but that those alliances have to be principled alliances there have to be alliances that don't require us to compromise our faith so whenever we seek alliances on mutual causes with other groups whether they are faith groups or non-faith groups you have to always keep in mind that the islamic paradigm the islamic framework which we believe and which we work within that can never be compromised because as soon as that starts compromising that's when problems start occurring so by all means ally just never compromise your faith and as soon as any kind of alliance is based on compromising your faith especially the fundamentals of it or clear cut halal and haram know that this alliance is no good and any alliance that doesn't require you to compromise your faith and is for the greater good and to prevent a greater evil um this these are alliances which we have no issues with if you enjoyed this podcast please remember to subscribe to the five pillars youtube channel and of course you can find us on all the major audio platforms until next time assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh blood brothers podcast five pillars production